Thank you, Eric. That song was perfect for fitting with Psalm 139. When I awake, I am with thee, because the Lord is with us. When we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, there's a tendency to look at clouds and wind and think about a storm that's coming, and yet it says the Lord's going to take care of us in a storm. So that was very appropriate. Let's turn our, in our Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, where we'll take up two more lessons, and they're very closely related, and they were certainly introduced well by three passages of Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Thank you, brothers, for reading three great passages of Scripture. Isaiah 58, with its if-then conditional statements for God's blessing in your life, should excite you. And some of those blessings, here I am, the great God of heaven saying that to his people, and describing what a real fast is. A real fast, or real worship of God, is taking care of the poor. And that's what we want to have in our minds as we come into Ecclesiastes 11. And then Brother Jeff read Psalm 112, where it said, He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, he lendeth, his righteousness remaineth forever. That's a godly man who gives to the poor. The poor in your family, the poor in your church, the poor in other churches like yours, and the poor that the Lord puts in your path in your ordinary course of business. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible tell us or burden us with the poor all over the world. Never. In either testament, not once. Not even a hint. Not ever. Jesus never traveled anywhere to an orphanage or to the homeless anywhere except in his land of Israel. When you see these televangelists on television that are trying to burden you with various countries in the earth where they have starved to death for 6,000 years and trying to get you to give your money, those are their self-righteous plans of do good that the Bible doesn't even teach. We have an order for our charity, and I'm a little bit off subject, but I just want to get it over with so that you have it in your minds and you don't ever forget Because it's a real burden on the soul of a tender person that loves to help. God has called us to first of all help our families. The poor and destitute within our families. If a man doesn't take care of his own, then he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's the first line of responsibility. The second is the poor in the church that God puts us in. The third is the poor in churches like our own, saints. When the Philippians took collections, they sent them across the Mediterranean Sea to the poor saints that were in Jerusalem. The Corinthians did the same thing. It's to poor saints. There was never a dollar raised by the apostles and taken to anyone but the poor saints. The fourth line of charity is when the Lord puts a wounded Jew in your path in your ordinary course of business and you are a good Samaritan by taking care of that person that God has obviously put in your path and you need to do something because if you don't, it's not going to get done. And so you do it. But that doesn't mean getting on the internet or on the television and seeing some little baby with a fly crawling on its eyeball somewhere else in the world. God has not made you responsible for them and they're not taught anywhere in the Bible. That's not taught. That is a burden that no one can bear. And if you were to send your money to every one of those money-begging evangelists, you'd have no money for real poverty left. 
Because the real poverty to take care of is in the four that I just gave you. And it's not because I'm harsh. It's because if the Bible's true, then we're going to follow it no matter what it sounds like. And it's true. And I'm not going to let anyone try to tell me any other otherwise. The Israelites never took a collection for the Philistine orphanages. I'm sorry. The Israelites never took a collection for the Egyptian orphanages. All their babies got killed when the angel of the Lord went through the land that night. Or, or did you forget? They never took one for the Assyrians. They never took one for the Babylonians. But the Lord told you that if you were out in your ordinary course of business, and if you even came on a bird's nest, you were to take care of what you found there. Right. And if you're the good Samaritan, that's loving your neighbor. It's not getting on the television to see who's begging for money. It's in your ordinary course of business going from Jericho to Jerusalem that you happen into a wounded Jew. Then, there you are. The Lord has arranged this chance meeting of a person in trouble who's lying in a ditch of a road having been accosted by robbers and beaten up. And you're there. Do something. It was the priest and the Levite that passed by on the other side and ignored it that didn't love their neighbor. That's loving your neighbor. But it's not going looking for these cases around the world. There have always been billions and millions and thousands of poor, starving, orphanages, homeless, so forth. Let's keep our priorities where the Lord wants to put them. In our family, in our church, in other saints that we meet, and in our ordinary course of business. Enough about that. I, I want that established in your minds. And if we do it the Lord's way, it works the proper way. The Lord's people are taken care of, and the Lord will take care of those that aren't His people by arranging to have them in your path at the right time. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and for those of you listening uh, on the internet or by tape or by CD, I hope you understand the short explanation I just made. And if you want a whole lot more, go look up a document on our website about the tsunami support that came from the United States of America and what the Bible has to say about events like that, because there's an extensive document on the website with lots of Bible verses showing you the priority of God's giving. And if you weren't here in our assembly and you're listening to this sermon, I wish you would stop it right now and go back and read Isaiah 58, Psalm 112, and Psalm 139, verses 7 through 16, and fill your soul with the precious Word of God before you even get started. Because Isaiah 58 is wonderful. Who wants to ride on the high places of the earth? You know, let me get on them. Some of you act like you want the high places to roll over you. I want to ride on them. I'm going to climb on this pulpit if it'll, do, if it'll accomplish some good in your mind. To ride on the high places of the earth. To enjoy the heritage of Jacob. Wow! That those that come of thee, your children and your children's children, will be the restorer of the breaches. The raiser up of many generations. Those are wonderful verses. The first lesson in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 is the first two verses. And these first six verses are very closely related, but I'm breaking them down into bite-sized pieces so that we can get our minds around them more easily. The first two verses, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Praise the Lord. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book of philosophy, which is the study of how to live. And it tells us how to live in a vain and vexing world to find the most profit and pleasure possible. It deals with money. 
It deals with the evils of money. It deals with the dissatisfaction that money has. It deals with the fact that the man who gets silver, he still covets more silver because it doesn't satisfy. There are lots of negative things said about money, but the book also teaches how to make money. And we just ran into some of those in chapter 10. But now we have another rule about money. In this little pamphlet, do you know how big this book would be if it was pulled out of the Bible? It's just a little pamphlet. When was the last college text you saw in philosophy? It was $150 and it was 700 pages. And they didn't teach you anything worth reading. This little pamphlet has a rule about money. And it's about giving it away. It's part of the philosophy from the God of heaven about how to be profit, how to profit and how to enjoy pleasure in this world. And you're about, you're about to get a lesson. You've got this lesson before. But the Bible leads us to these lessons. And if there's repetition, then it's the Lord's repetition. This is something you don't get taught in a Harvard MBA. You can go to the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, or you can go to the U of M uh, Business School, or you can go to Stanford's Business School. Those are the top four in the United States. And you're not going to learn this rule, because they don't know how to think in the spiritual realm. They're ignorant. God has restricted the, their intelligence like he restricted the intelligence of the ostrich. Right, right. She is dumb. The Lord created a stupid bird with a little tiny head that doesn't have much of a brain. It lays its eggs and then steps on them and crushes its own young. And the Bible ridicules the ostrich. And we ought to ridicule MBAs that that grow up and do not know the Word of God. Because this is a lesson that I want you to believe with all of your heart. It's as sure as Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. They believe in evolution. We believe in creation. We believe it because of Genesis 1-1, Hebrews 11-3, and other places. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were of old. They can have all the econometric models they want. They can teach all the levels of economics they want. They can have all the quantitative methods classes that you could ever sit through. And they're nauseating. But they do not know the real way of wealth. And this is one of the rules of wealth right here. Cast your bread upon the waters. Oh, do you have any bread? Hey, have you ever heard anybody say, hey, you got any bread, man? You know, and they mean this stuff. Do you have any bread, man? That's, well, that's the kind of bread you can think of because we're talking about throwing away your money. We're talking about scattering what God's giving you. We're talking about casting your bread, taking the bread that would sustain your family, not all of it because you can't starve your family to feed another family, but taking some of that bread and giving a portion to seven and, hey, if eight show up, feed the eighth person too. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Do you know what the Harvard MBA learns? If you put your money into one of our mutual funds, you'll find it after many days, because we measure ourselves by the S&P, which is the standard of all mediocrity. And if, if you'll keep your money with us, we'll bring your money back with a mediocre return at the end. That's as good as they can do. But this is throw your money away and don't worry about the Harvard MBAs because the Lord's going to send it back to you in many days. Sometimes men put a note in a bottle, toss the bottle, put a cork in it and toss the bottle on the ocean and wonder if they're going to get, you know, a letter or an email from India someday or whatever. You know, we can cast our bread upon the waters and it's going to come back after many days. The Lord's going to bring it back. Men are going to bring it back. It's going to come back in ways you can't even imagine. This is not taught in any business school. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. God will bless you for giving your money away, for scattering. The verse, Proverbs eleven twenty four. there is that scattereth, but it tendeth to 
increase. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, and it tendeth to poverty. They do not understand that. They, they can run. Not very many of you have had quantitative methods classes for business. Quantitative methods classes for business are where a Ph.D. that took 130 courses in mathematics thinks he's learned something that can help you run a business. He can write a formula on a, bullet, on a blackboard that's 60 feet wide, 6 feet t- wide, six, 60 feet wide, 6 feet tall, fill it up with all this fine print of some sophisticated calculation that you need some sophisticated calculator to do. He doesn't know a thing about making money. That's not how you make money. There's two things to make money. God's blessing and what the Bible calls big stones. And I hope all you men are able to figure that one out. That's how you make money. By God's blessing and some stones. That's what they're called in the Bible. Commend me. Write me a note and say, I appreciate your biblical use of language this Lord's Day. Because that's what it takes. And there's no professor with any number of college courses that can teach you that. God gives a man that ability and he either exercises or you don't. But listen, brethren, this is wonderful. In this little book of philosophy, where it said money doesn't satisfy, where it says the rich many times waste their whole lives worrying about their money, where the rich put their money in a will and then a fool gets the money that a wise man raised during his lifetime. And on and on it goes. But here is one of the things that you're supposed to do with your money that we haven't encountered yet. Throw it away. Throw it on the water. It's going to come back to you after many days. Now, it may not come back tomorrow. Do you know what I think of the man that says, I gave some money yesterday and the Lord hasn't done anything for me yet. He's a scorner and the Lord's never... This verse doesn't apply to him. You know, verses don't apply to everyone. If you want to be a scorner, the verse doesn't apply to you. If you say, well, I gave last week and I haven't made any more this week, you're never going to make any more. It's after many days. And the Lord's the one that defines many days. But it's going to come back to you. Did you hear Isaiah 58? This is the fast that I have chosen. Feed the poor. Listen, if there's not some people having, having lunch together today in just a few minutes or in the next couple of hours, some, you missed something. Aren't you thinking right now, who can I take to lunch today? Don't be offended if somebody comes and asks you out to eat. That doesn't mean you're poor. They're just, they're just, they don't know where else to turn because maybe everybody else is taken. Is, is that in your mind? Cast your bread upon the waters. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. Do you know that casting away is more blessed than getting? Do you believe that? Yes, that's right. Now, that's, what the, that's what the Savior said. For me to tell you that it's true it doesn't mean anything or it doesn't add anything. I know it's true. Do you know it's true? Amen. Jesus said it's true. Acts 20, verse 35. Paul, that's the only red writing you're going to get in the book of Acts in a passage like that where the Apostle Paul is quoting the Lord Jesus Christ and quoting him exactly because Paul's telling those elders at Ephesus that's the way he had conducted himself because the Lord had taught him that and the Lord should have taught them that as well. And I hope you all know that it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive, to cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. You are going to get ahead because the Lord's going to send it back after many days. There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. See, that doesn't fit any mathematical model of any financial modeling system anywhere in the world run by naturalistic men. 
Because you can't take 100 and throw away 20 and end up with 110 in their econometric models. But when you do things the Lord's way, you can start with 100, throw away 20, and end up with 110. That's how it works. Do you know this Bible told me that David died in a good old age, full of days, and very rich? How'd the man have anything left after he gave all that he did to build the temple? That's at the end of First Chronicles 29. By the way, for those of you that want to live past 70, I, I don't fault you for wanting to live past 70. I'm just hoping to get to 70. First Chronicles 29 says that David died in a good old age, full of days. I've, I've, I've got a lot of comfort from that recently. I got some comfort with it when my dad was sitting in a doctor's office. And they were talking about his limited opportunities to get rid of his prostate cancer. And I told him then, what I'm telling you all now, David made it to 70. David was a man after God's own heart. And you know what the, Bible, you know what the Lord says about him? F- a good old age, full of days. Right. Some of you are really full of days. And a really good old age. And, and we're not calling for the early demise of anyone. But let's be content with what the Lord gives and let's not set up extravagant ideals that the, that the world wants you to have that the Bible doesn't have. Right. You know, they're telling you that they eat right, you can live to be 120. You know, all the books that are written by people that say that, they're already dead. They didn't make it to 120. I don't know why anybody ever buys the books. Right. Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Do you know what people say, why they don't give? I need to hold some back for a rainy day. Oh, you're going to love this. How could Solomon, how could Solomon in a Hebrew culture with a Hebrew language know about the idioms that we would have in English in America in 2008? I've got to hold some back for a rainy day. If the clouds be full of rain, they're going to fall upon the earth. Solomon's going to ridicule your English idiom. I have to hold some back for a rainy day. Oh, no, you don't. You don't know what's coming. And listen, if a rainy day is coming, it might be, it might rain so hard that you don't have anything to give, so you better give it now while you've got a chance to give it. That's what it's in there for. Do you know how the natural mind thinks? I see the future. It could rain. I could lose my job. There could be a recession in the United States. Therefore, I better hold back to be able to provide for my family. I shouldn't give. But do you know what the Lord says? Because there could be a recession coming in the future, and you might not have very much to give, give while you've got it. Right. That, look at the connection there. Give a portion of seven, also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. The world says, I need to keep it to myself, because I don't know what the future holds. The Lord teaches, give it away, because you don't know what the future holds. The future could be your death tomorrow. I, I want to tell you a secret right now. A secret from the Word of God. If you don't give today, oh, that sounds like a televangelist. <laughs> Not there. If you don't give today or you don't have the heart to give today, what if you die tonight and meet the Lord tomorrow? You lose. Because you, you don't know what evil's coming on the earth. It could be the taking away of your life. It could be the taking away of your assets and your income, your job. And if you haven't given to anyone else, the Lord's not going to give to you. And they're not going to take care of you either. Because they're going to remember how miserly you were while you were living well. 
That's all wrapped up in those two verses. While you've got it, give it. How much do you want to die with? Kids, go ahead. I'm going to tell you. I want to die penniless. Get the last penny. Don't you let, don't stick anything in my pockets. When I'm in the casket, I want to die penniless. By the time we die, don't we want to give everything away? Of course we want to give some to our children. We want to give some to our children's children. And we want to give to those that we've met in our lives that needed it. Why do you want to die with anything? How much are you going to take? What's customs going to let you take through? Nothing. You say, well, what about a will? That means I've given it all away, haven't I? Cast thy bread upon the waters. It's such a wonderful verse. Moses taught charity. Do you know how Moses taught charity in Deuteronomy chapter 15? He said, open wide thy hand. What? Do you know that? Well, I gave some, but I don't want to ridicule amounts of money or you'll think that I knew some story about you because I don't want you to think that specifically, but don't ever be miserly. When the Bible says you give, especially to your brethren, in Deuteronomy 15, the Lord goes through it very carefully. Open wide your hand. Give them, give them some money. Don't put them in a pinch. Don't make them settle for the dollar menu. Give them some money. Give them some help. Give them some food. Give them some clothes. Give them some shelter. Give. Give it generously. And the Lord says, don't you dare think in your evil heart. This brother's poor, and it's the sixth year before the year of release. I'm going to loan him this that he needs to run his farm. And the year of release is next year. And the year of release means that he doesn't have to pay me back. You know what the Lord said about that kind of thinking? That is terribly wicked thinking. You know, every seventh year, all debtors were relieved of their debts. And so on the sixth year, if you saw a man that was poor, do you know what you'd tell him? Wait two years and I'll loan you. Because, you know, then he'd have six years to have to pay you back. But the Lord said, don't ever think that way. The Lord, you know how the Lord knows we, how we think? The Lord knows exactly how you add up dollars and cents in your mind. And he says, open wide your hand anyway. Because you know who makes the difference? The Lord makes the difference. Amen. If you're loaning to somebody, thinking to get ahead by what they're going to pay you back, you've missed the whole equation. The real issue is getting ahead by what the Lord's going to give you on the waters in many days. Did it say in Psalm 112, He hath dispersed abroad, His righteousness remaineth forever? He hath dispersed. He's given to the poor. There's the blessing in Psalm 112. The blessing was in Isaiah 58. You know, the the, the poor can't repay. And so you want to give to somebody that can't repay. That's the most exciting kind of giving there is. If you really want to take someone out to eat, that the Lord really gets excited about when you take someone out to eat, do you know how they're described in the Bible? The halt... The lame and the blind. Because they cannot repay you. Because I'll repay you in the great day of judgment. That is Luke 14, 12 through 14. It says, don't invite your friends. Don't take your brethren. Don't invite your kinsmen when you invite someone out to eat. Take someone that can't pay you back. The halt, the lame, the blind. Because they can't repay you. I'll take care of it. The Lord gets excited when you're doing something like that. Because He knows you're not doing it for any networking. We don't want to network in our church. We want to take care of the poor. We want to, we want to help. 
Networking is where these big fancy churches where everyone goes, where all the lawyers and the doctors and the financial analysts and bankers and commercial lenders go so that they can all network with each other and rub elbows with one another and make business deals. That's not pleasing in the sight of God. I don't care what they do for each other. Because those people can repay. It's giving to somebody that can't repay. But do you you think the Lord's going to take care of you in a situation like that? He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. What's his credit rating? What does S&P give the Lord? Is he triple A? He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. It will return to him upon the waters. The Lord always pays. The Lord doesn't miss a thing. And if you were to give all your life and end up without anything really good financially happening to you, when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to repay you. Because Matthew 25 is going to say, Come and stand on my right hand. And you're going to say, What, do we, what have we done to deserve being over here in your right hand? And He's going to remember the least thing you've done unto his, the least of His brethren. The smallest things. 1 Timothy 6 says you're going to have a good foundation laid up against the time to come. Because you've had an attitude of giving. Cast thy bread upon the waters. In the little book of philosophy on how we should live successfully and prosperously and be ready for hard times. Do you know how you get ready for hard times? It's not hoarding. It's not saving. It's giving. Because then the Lord takes care of you. It comes back on the waters during the hard times from men or from others. Have you ever heard these words? Let me see if I can get them straight and correct me if I'm wrong. Give and it shall be given you. A full measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your bosom, will men give you according to the spirit of giving that you've shown toward them. That is Luke chapter 6, verses 30, verse 38. You know, when you look at your, when you champions out there look at your box of Wheaties, listen, there's no champion that eats Wheaties, but go ahead and believe the orange box. When you look at your box of Wheaties, it says 16 ounces, one pound at the top. It says contents may have settled due to shipping. And you know, you look inside and it's only half full. That's because when they blew that air into that box, by the way, I want to tell you something about distribution in the United States. The box costs three times what the cereal inside cost. But don't worry about that. Just go ahead and eat it and think that it's good. While you're looking at that box, it says contents may have settled during shipping. And you look inside and it's only half full because that air-blown product settled while it was in the truck making its way to you a few months ago. But do you know what the Lord says about giving? He says, I'll give you a full measure. The engineers calibrated the machines and it was a full measure of a return coming upon the waters to you for casting your bread in the waters. A full measure. Then the Lord gets in that box and stamps it down. Press down, then he shakes it together. Oh, he puts it in a paint mixer. Have you ever seen a box of Wheaties in a paint mixer? You open up the top and it's only that deep. The Lord does that. And then he pours in extra so that it's coming over the top because that's what it says in Luke 6.38. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not embellishing. I'm trying to make the Word of God as practical and as plain to you as possible. That's how the Lord rewards those that give. You can't outgive the Lord. Give me R.G. Laterno. Where is he? He gave the Lord 90%. I'm going to repeat myself. 
They asked him, how in the world can you survive and be successful giving 90%? He said, well, I shovel it as fast as I can to the Lord, and the Lord just shovels it back. But he's got a bigger shovel. That's what R.G. Letourneau said. Don't, don't ever forget that. If you think you can outgive the Lord, you are so wrong. Amen. You've never tried him. You know what the Lord says? Try me. Have you ever seen this from the Lord? Try me. It's in Malachi chapter 3. Try me. He dares us. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't receive. You can't outgive the Lord. Cast your bread upon the waters. The reason I'm, I'm going into this is because there's fear of recession. There's fear of, I don't know that I have the perfect job. I don't know if my job's secure. The company could fold. It could leave the Greenville. It could blah, blah, blah. You can come up with all these fears. The fears that are going to be in this context that represent all those fears is the fear of the clouds and the fear of rain and the fear of a tree falling. But you can't stop those things and you can't direct those things. And so you don't worry about those things because they're all in the hands of God. You just get up in the morning and you go do your economic activity, and at night you do your charitable activity. That's what the verse, that's what the six verses are about. I'm running them together now for the sake of time. There's two lessons here. Nothing that other people are talking about and worried about should cause you to stop your economic activity nor your charitable activity. You get up and sow your field. You go out there and sow your field every day. You don't know if that company's gonna be there in the next, doesn't matter. The Lord's gonna take care of you. Do you think you're gonna keep the company in Greenville? You're not going to keep the company in Greenville. Just get up and go do your work. You're not working for that master. You're working for a master in heaven that owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. And that night, if somebody's in need, take take a part of your paycheck and give it to them. You say, well, if I was doing that, I'd be living hand. I'd I'd be so close to disaster that if anything bad were... If, if, if. Hey, Chicken Little, why don't you go read your little nursery rhymes instead of the Bible? You're sounding just like Chicken Little. If the sky falls, my head's going to get crushed. That is what this, these six verses are against. The little story of Chicken Little. The evil here is not sin. The evil in verse 2. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. The evil there is trouble, difficulty, pain, recession, depression. You know, the generation that came out of the Great Depression, they do not have a good mindset. They're too fearful. Because they think that they can protect themselves from another Great Depression, and they're wrong. A government, and inflation, and a depression, or deflation, can steal your savings and corrupt your savings and your investments right. so thoroughly that you wouldn't have anything. You are not going to protect yourself. Right. You didn't protect yourself in your mother's womb, and you're not going to protect yourself outside it. You're, you are in the Lord's hands. This yeah. does not mean that we are not prudent to a measure. I, I'm assuming that you understand that. Jesus assumed that you were smart enough to understand that. When Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow, he assumed that you were smart enough to know that he wasn't saying to take no thought at all about tomorrow. Right. He was saying you should take no anxious or worried or fearful thought about tomorrow. Because you shouldn't worry about it. You should just go do your thing. Thank God for a job and go do it well tomorrow. And if you see a better one in hotjobsormonster.com, go get it. And quit the one you've got. Be wise and prudent to a very, to a reasonable degree and trust the Lord for the rest. Right. The, the wicked say, I need to hold back for a rainy day. Okay, let's deal with the rainy day. Verse 3, if the clouds be full of rain, 
If. I want to tell you what important words are in here. If. Because you certainly don't know that they are. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If the clouds that are approaching are full of rain, they are, it's going to rain. But you don't know it because it's an if. It's in the hands of God. It's not in the hands of Mother Nature. And the Doppler ain't going to help you. Because we're not really talking about rain. Rain here is just an example of what is difficult for farmers to cope with from time to time. The real issue is the recession of 2009. And 10. And 11. You say, well, you better be getting us prepared. We better be saving and scrapping for everything we can. I am. Cast your bread upon the waters, for it shall come back to you after many days. It will come back in 09, 10, and 11. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall it be. Now, is that deep? I love it. He's He's making fun of all these chicken littles about what could happen. I've heard about all these rumors since I was a little boy. In 1964, I was seven years old, and I had to listen to Dr. To Dotson, Al Dotson, who told me little stories about Chinese communists killing little Korean girls that wouldn't step on a cross of Jesus Christ painted on a sidewalk outside a church. I was fed stories like this as a seven-year-old boy, and I, I mean no fear mongers. They're everywhere. They love to live on fear because you can get, a, you can get an audience interested when you tell fear filled stories seven years old you know the world was going to come to an end that man in 1964 said the communists would take over america just like they did north korea by 1967 i was only going to be 10 i wouldn't own very many guns i wouldn't have a driver's license yet i felt i was going to be powerless powerless in the face of these communists but instead i had the lord jesus christ sitting on the throne of glory but i didn't know him well enough You know those people back then? They were afraid of the communists. Joseph McCarthy was screaming about communists everywhere in the government. Communists everywhere. There may have been. Don't know, don't care. What were you going to do about it? He couldn't do anything about it. and He was a senator. What are you going to do about it? Because you ain't nobody. Well, that's, that's two negatives, but you know what I meant. You weren't going to do anything. Communists were going to take over America in the 50s. Then, then the Beatles were going to take over America in the 60s. The who was going to take over America in the 70s. And so those people thought the world was going to come to an end. I remember Jack Van Empey saying that 1976, the communists were going to pick the 4th of July and they were going to pick Philadelphia, Liberty Square in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the communists were going to take over America. And so for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, Christians have lived in paranoia about communists. Now let me tell you something about them. They don't trust anything because there's a communist behind every bush. Everything is a conspiracy. Everything is a conspiracy. You push a button on your drinking fountain, it's a conspiracy. They're dumping aluminum byproducts. You can go on. Every single thing is a conspiracy. Every single thing is a conspiracy. Your kite string is tainted with poison because they're going to infiltrate you and your children through your genetic base by handling the kite string that's sold in a hardware store. Every single thing is a conspiracy. So those people said the only thing we can trust is to put our money into gravel. So they bought gold and silver, and uh, oh, yes, we were heavy into that in the early 70s and 80s. And so they said the stock market's manipulated by all these insiders that manipulated up and down. Well, I wonder why they manipulated it straight up for 40 years. 
You know, the only place to have made money over the past 40 years is in the stock market that's manipulated by insiders. And that, because do you know where that came from? It came from a fear of the Great Depression because the stock market went down in the Great Depression. But you know, if you'd owned stocks before the Great Depression, you'd have kept those stocks and owned them after the Great Depression, you'd have done fine. It just took a while. Right. It took a long while, but it took a while. You know, right now you're reading the paper. This is, this is, I want you to think about fear. Because all, all of these verses are about fear. It's the fear of rain. It's the fear of trees falling. It's the fear of wind. And it's the fear of clouds. You don't know anything. You don't know the way of the Spirit. You don't know the way that bones form in the womb of a mother. And you don't know the works of God who maketh all. God makes all these things. There was so much fear back then. I was told that the, the stock market was manipulated by insiders. How, how many of you ever heard of Johnny Todd? The tapes distributed by Johnny Todd. You know, 1970s, I get married, I'm a 20-year, I'm a 19-year-old kid with a wife and a child. And the men that I trusted to a degree were passing around these tapes by Johnny Todd. Johnny Todd supposedly had been a witch, and he'd been conver- gloriously converted from rock and roll and witchcraft and meeting with the Rothschilds, and now he was exposing how they controlled the whole world. And Johnny, in his tapes, would tell how he'd been to London, and he had sat at a table with 12 of the Rothschilds, and there was a 13th seat open at the end where Lucifer came in spirit and joined with them. Do you remember Johnny Todd tapes? Or Wayne Rasmussen, Stuart Crane, and the others putting that stuff together back in the 1970s? Johnny Todd. Turned out to be that Johnny Todd was traveling from church to church to church to fornicate with as many girls as he could because he, he arranged little seances to show them how witchcraft worked, and while he was doing that, he fornicated with the girls in the various churches of Americas that wanted to distribute his tapes. He didn't have one ounce of truth in any of that. Right. The Rothschilds don't rule the world. The Rothschilds are a has-been. There are so many people today that could buy the entire Rothschild clan, family, and all their assets and holding, and wouldn't even know that they had made a purchase. They're nothing. There's much greater wealth elsewhere. But because of fear like that, everybody, you know, a lot of the conservatives missed the goal. We just lived through one of the best booms the world's ever seen in one country. Forty years. From 1982 to the year 2006, which is 24 years, was fabulous wealth-making in this country. Even though it was built on credit and foolish government policies in some respects, it happened. But all the fear-mongers missed it. Because they're afraid all the time. They're afraid of another depression being just around the corner. They're afraid of another civil war being just around the corner. They're afraid of a recession. We don't, we, we gotta get rid of fear in that sense and trust the Lord. This doesn't mean we're not prudent, but we gotta get rid of foolish fear because these verses are warning us. You can't stop the clouds. The, the most important, if I can pick a most important word in verses one through six, it's the word not. It's the word not. Because in verse 2 it says, for thou knowest not. The key is what you don't know. You don't know it, so why are you acting upon it? Well, I don't know what's going to come, but to be safe, I better hold back. No, because you don't know what's going to come, you better give it away so that the Lord can bless you if something bad comes. If the clouds are full of rain, that means they're rain clouds, it's going to rain. You can't stop it, you're not going to avoid it, just go ahead and sow. You don't know it. If the tree, you don't know that either. And you know, there were some interesting things that happened as we got close to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. There, a tree fell at Brother Tim's house and just missed Yahweh, who was sleeping in a bedroom right next to it. If that tree would have moved 10 feet or so in its angle of descent, it would have crushed her bedroom. 
But the tree fell where it did. She didn't even hear it. You go look at the damage and the size of the tree, and you wonder how she slept through that, but she's a sound sleeper. We were wearing her out. You know, then one brother brings me this that was cut out of the paper on October 16, 2008. That's only a few weeks ago. A man using a track hoe to clear his land in Simpsonville. He's the owner of the property next door. A man using a track hoe to clear his land in Simpsonville has been killed after a tree fell on the machine, crushing him. Greenville County Deputy Coroner Scott Ramsey told the Greenville News that 66-year-old Charles Kellett, Jr., the Kellett's own much of the property in this part of the county, died instantly in the accident around 2 p.m. Thursday. Simpsonville Police Lieutenant Ralph Bobo says Kellett was trying to dig up the tree as he cleared land he had bought for a new development when it toppled on him. Authorities say a man helping Kellett found his body after returning from unloading debris. If the tree fall to the north, if the tree fall to the south, that's where the tree is going to be. Verse 4, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. If you are always waiting for the perfect circumstances for your job, for a business, for an investment, you're never going to make it. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. If you go, out, if you were a farmer, it's reducing it to a farmer, but it implies it, it, it can be applies to everything. If you were to come out of your house, you know, and test the wind, oh, son, it's just not really, it's not ideal for planting today. Let's try it again tomorrow. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. If you were to read the newspaper and watch CNBC and listen to everything they say without some judicial judgment, you would think the world's coming to an end. We're in a financial tsunami, they call it. Really? They've never seen one up up close and personal. But if you read that stuff and think about it enough, you will stop taking classes, you will stop applying yourself in your job, fear will paralyze you. It's paralysis by analysis. If you analyze too much, you will end up paralyzed. Stop analyzing. Start giving. Start trusting. Start praying. Start thanking. And go do two things. Engage in economic activity and give charitably. Those are the two things here. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, because it will never be just right to go do it. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. If you're waiting for the perfect day to go reap your harvest, harvest, you'll never get one. There never is a perfect day in an imperfect world. You don't know what the future is. So just get out there and do it. As thou knowest not. Remember I told you the most important word maybe not. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit. You know that I've heard this word, this verse used, to try to teach the way of the Spirit and to try to teach about the marvelous way that a child is formed in the womb. But that, this verse ought not to be used that way. This verse is in the Bible to tell you that you don't know anything about either subject. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so, in the very same way, thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. God makes the human spirit and puts it in a body. God makes the bones and causes them to grow and develop in a mother's womb. God makes trees to fall to the north or to the south. God calls causes clouds to bring rain and to fall upon the earth. God does all those things. It's in His hands. It's His secret will. We don't know it. The revealed things belong unto us. And do you know what the revealed thing is for us this afternoon? Cast thy bread upon the waters. Give a portion to seven, yea, to eight. In the morning, here it is, verse 6, the summary of the lesson. Engage in economic activity and engage in charitable giving without regard for the future. By putting it in the Lord's hands. 
in the morning, get up and go to work, sow thy seed. And in the evening, when you come home from your day of work, withhold not thine hand. Be generous. So get up in the morning and go to work. It may not be a perfect day, son, but let's get out and turn that field. And you come home and you say, son, I know the newspaper, what it told us today could happen tomorrow. But there's somebody at the door that needs to be fed. Let's give to them. In the morning, sow thy seed. Engage in economic activity. Go to school. Do the best you can to get a transferable skill. Develop yourself. Push ahead in the job. And in the evening, give to those that have need. Visit the the fatherless and the widows. Take care of those that are poor. Clothe them. Feed them. House them. For thou knowest not. Here it is again. The word not. For thou knowest not. Whether... Whether, that's two things, shall prosper, either this or that. Either your economic activity, you don't know if it's going to work or not. Or your charitable giving, you don't know if it's going to work or not. Or, and this is the general rule for those who trust the Lord and do the things in these six verses. This is the general rule. Or, whether they both shall be alike good. Right. Is, isn't everyone, don't you, though those that are in this room, don't we know that to be true? That the general rule has been the last part of that verse. Now, can I prove that it's the general rule? Go read the book of Proverbs. Is the general rule that the diligent man shall be made fat? Is that an absolute rule? No. It's the general rule. Is it a general rule that when you give to the poor, the Lord's going to remember and give it back to you? Yes, He is. The general rule is that both work out for good. But if you fear, you'll never sow. If you fear and worry, you'll never reap. You will not give, and you will not take in. You'll be afraid to develop your career. The thinking goes like this. We could have a recession in the next three years. I don't want to commit myself to a degree program that could take three years. There could be a recession. There might not be a recession. Then what does that do to your decision? Just go ahead and do what you... If if your heart has devised a way to get you a transferable skill, go get it. Go press for it. Don't read the newspaper so much. They have to sell fear. Who else would buy their papers? In the morning sow thy seed, in the evening withhold not thine hand. Do both. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper. You don't know it, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. And that is the ordinary case of a man who puts his trust in the Lord. That was what Psalm 112 was teaching us. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord and greatly keepeth keepeth his commandments. That man is blessed. So Isaiah 58, that man is blessed. He rides in the high places of the earth and he enjoys the heritage of Jacob. Why? Because he puts his trust in the Lord and he feeds the poor. He gets up and he goes to work and he does his reasonable best. And he disperses abroad to those that can't pay him back and the Lord takes care of him. This is the Lord's wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verses 1 through 6. God, being merciful to us as, as his dear children has told us that one of the rules for financial success, profit, and peace, and pleasure on earth, not to be taken advantage of by others, by, little ch- by chicken littles, who are always calling for the overthrow of government, that there's just terrible things going on, that there's new strains of flus coming that are just going to wipe us out, and on and on, pretty soon we'd be at home living in a bubble. Right. If we were to believe everything they told us, we'd be at home living in a bubble. And the Lord doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to get up, go to work tomorrow, do the best we can. When we come home, give away some of what we have to the poor, and the Lord will take care of us. Cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. More could be said, I hope enough was said, for you to understand. There's no perfect job, there's no perfect investment, there's no perfect career, there's no perfect charity.
Whatever you see in front of you, go do it and do it well. Let's not live in the Great Depression. It happened once. Let it happen again. Probably ain't going to happen again. We are a very, very different country than what happened then. It doesn't matter. The Lord doesn't want you to worry about that. You have no idea about a Great Depression. You do not know how to protect yourself if there was one, and you cannot stop it if there was one. If the tree's going to fall to the north or the south, guess where it's going to be? You ain't going to push it to the east. It's going to fall to the north or the, north or the south. And boy, I'm thankful when I hear about stories like Yahweh and this Mr. Kellett. It's all in the hands of the Lord. And, and the rest of this year is in the hands of the Lord. And next year, your company's in the hands of the Lord. You know, there could be severe cutbacks at Lockheed Martin. Next year's in the hands of the Lord. If, you know, we don't go by ifs. We're going to go to work because the Lord's going to take care of Matthew Jones and everyone else in here. I hope it's been plain enough, and I hope that you get excited about the Word of God. These kind of things are not taught. Do you know how much fear there is right now by Harvard MBAs? And the economists of this country, as they look at their econometric models that are supposed to tell them what's going to happen to us over the next few years, it is a very ugly sight. But do you know what? I have, there's a God in heaven, and He's our Father. And the Bible calls Him as a handmaiden looks to the eyes and face and hands of her mistress. He opens his hands wide to us, and he's going to take care of us. Amen. We're going to put our trust in him and do what he tells us to do, and that's to get up and go to school and work tomorrow, and to give to those that could use some charity. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.